coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefee, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facilities side of our business. Hello, and welcome to the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Chenefee, I'm your host, and thanks for joining us. Margaret Bannon joins us here on the podcast this week. Margaret is a former D1 tennis player who joins yoga and its mindfulness with teaching tennis right there in her backyard. After over 20 years teaching at clubs in Ohio and Florida, Margaret has turned the court on which she learned to play as a kid as the bedrock of her new business venture, play tennis, practice yoga. Margaret has turned to social media for marketing her novel idea and her forays into the world of digital advertising has introduced her to some wonderful people in our industry. In fact, we found her through her Instagram account. It's ubiquitous. We get to know the former junior player who played at the Orange Bowl and Easter Bowl and who trained with Nick Balateri. She knows the pressures that come with playing tennis at the highest levels, but she also knows the pressures at the USTA league levels and uses her teachings as a longtime qualified yoga instructor to help with breathing techniques, opening up the mind, and better understanding oneself on the court. We delve into how to market your own firm and the unforeseen time that that might take with editing videos and sound bites and design work. But Margaret, she says it's well worth it, and she loves what she is doing. But before I introduce the bustling self-starter, I'd like to mention that our new premier online subscription service for our clients, partners, and friends is now live and online. Exclusive content ranging from seasonal professional contracts to human resource needs, and on to new ideas for your programming and drills. Do you need us to help with your retail shop? Well, it's all there on our Premier Member Service. Find out more at beyondthebaselines.com and in the menu, click BTB In-Depth. Join today and save 50% off our regular membership rate. But now, straight from her yoga mat in Punta Gorda, Florida, here's Margaret. Well, thank you for joining the beyondthebaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Chanfee, I'm your host, and this week, we have a great special guest with us, Margaret Bannon. Uh, she came to our attention on Instagram and through her combination of working uh, with her clients with yoga and tennis combined. Margaret, great to have you on the line and thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you you asking me to be on. And Instagram, how much do you use social media for your business? Now, I know you're self-employed over there and I think you work out of your house. So I'd like to hear a bit more about that. But how did you come about working with social media so much and has it helped your business? Um, well, definitely. I've been using it more and more. Um, I used to work at a yacht club. I, I taught there for about 12 years. And basically, I decided to make these total social media uh, move when I kind of knew that I wanted to work for myself and, and we decided to get this business going out of the house. Um, but it definitely has been much more helpful during the pandemic and just being able to connect with people that I otherwise wouldn't have met <laughs> without the powers of social media. So it's been a nice tool, not just for business, but just in connecting with other people in the tennis and, and yoga industry and now the yoga for tennis industry. Yeah, I noticed you had uh, Michelle Krause, who we've known formerly of Cardio Tennis, and now I think she's with Intensity. Um, you had her at your court there, and that was on, uh, I don't know if it was on Instagram or YouTube, I, but I saw a couple videos with her. Uh, tell us about that. How did that, how did that happen? Yeah, so that was a great connection or reconnection with Michelle. Uh, we briefly worked together um, at the Punta Gorda Club here in Punta Gorda. She opened that club many years ago, and I 
basically she was making the move out of the club as I was coming in. I was just teaching some kids camps there in the summers. This was when she was beginning to travel for cardio tennis. And so we didn't know each other that well, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I saw this, um, this show that she created with uh, Emma Doyle, the M&M show. And I just kind of reached out to her and said, hey, I'd love to collaborate with you sometime. And at the time she just kind of said, well, we're just kind of getting this going. I'm not sure you know, what's gonna happen. And then she lives about an hour-ish away from me in Sarasota. And I went up and I took one of her intensity classes and it was a great class. And we had a nice conversation afterwards. And that's where she uh, realized that I was teaching out of my house. And she said, let's, let's teach an intensity class at your house. And I said, okay, well, let's add some yoga for tennis after that. And um, I didn't know if it was just gonna be one class because she generally travels a lot for work. Uh, but with the pandemic going on, it's been a little bit of a blessing for us in that we've made it a little more of a regular offering about once a month now out at Play Tennis Practice Yoga. Great. Yeah. You know, uh, so what interested me was uh, I met Michelle years ago at a, at a USPTA conference, and it was when they started, when TRX was really becoming oh, yes. popular, and they did TRX cardio tennis. And I was a TRX instructor. Um, and and I took to it like a, like a steam engine. I loved it. And I took, um, I took TRX cardio up to the club. I was up at, up North and, and it was fantastic because in terms of revenue streams, it really, if, if you can have four or six people doing maybe yoga on the court and four or six people doing tennis on the court, you suddenly have a clinic of 12 people and no one's bored and you only Definitely. need one. So it's like from a six to one ratio, you go to a 12 to one ratio and, and my club loved it. And uh, they invested in, we ended up with 16 TRX, TRXs because we only had 16 posts around the court. That's as most as we could do. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you don't want to put the TRX too far from a post into the ground. So um, we, had, we had a great time doing that for years and years. And I've continued that. Now, I don't do as much TRX with the cardio as much anymore, but cardio is still a major class of ours where I am now. And what, what, what I enjoyed about seeing you was, how you 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 take a mindset from your yoga teachings into a tennis instruction session. So tell us about that because your your mindset is different from just a tennis player. You're coming at it in a different direction, and I'd like to explore that a little bit. That, that's really I, I feel like the greatest tool that yoga has to offer. You know, of course, we see all these fancy poses and they look great and they look fun to try. And we obviously want to have injury prevention, but I think that when we get more into the practices of yoga we realize that, you know, being able to still the mind um, is much more valuable, especially, you know, in a court like setting where things are moving very quickly. Uh, there's a lot of concern for what might happen in a point in a match of, you know, high school players, maybe they're trying to, to get into a good college for a scholarship. There's a lot of pressure there. So just having the tools of being able to slow down and uh, be a little more present with uh, each point or each moment, I think is just um, a really nice place to start from, even if you're not maybe interested in the slow movements or more controlled movements of yoga. I think everyone wants to be stronger mentally, or at least we're, we're seeing more evidence and more pros uh, leaning towards these practices that um, make us stronger mentally. You know, you remind me, I, I think it was Maria Sharapova who was uh, kind of a yogi. Uh, if I recall, she went into like, if, and, and I remember 
people talking about it, but she would before every point go into like a, a yoga like trance looking at the back fence. Do you remember that? Yeah, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned Maria. I'm, I'm reading her book right now. Um, and I wouldn't say that she was necessarily one of my favorite players, but I always, I always appreciated how intense she was on the court, how focused she was. And I definitely notice it now. Um, I just recently wrote a blog post on the match in the U.S. Open between Azarenka and uh, Serena, you know, how uh, Vika you know, in a crucial time in the changeover, she had her eyes closed and there's just, you're seeing it more and more where, where um, players are not necessarily trying to hide the fact that they're trying to, to focus a little bit more and they know that it works. They're seeing the benefits and, and that's just motivating to, to get into these types of practices that, that might not have been as traditional when, when we were growing up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I, my, my father is not a huge fan of tennis, but obviously he watches it, you know, knowing that I, it's a huge part of my life. And he called me up after Sophia Kennan's last loss. I think it was at the U.S. Open. Uh, and, and he's like, she just goes too fast. She's got to be like Sharapova and slow down, you know, and, and, <laughs> and it's true. You know, I think um, sometimes that pause, if you will, and that thought process that takes you outside and, and Emma Doyle was on our podcast and, and I, I think you listened to that one yeah um, but we talked about the inner self and how you have to inner self one and inner self two with you know the in, in, the inner game of tennis but you actually have to take yourself out of your own body and look back at yourself when you're into those pressure situations to see how you're going to react and 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 try to measure yourself so that you can keep yourself measured and I and I think a lot of pros um on the tour could could use more of that you know I I you know, surprisingly, I think Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal are all really good at it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I, I think a really nice example of, uh, here's something you probably hear all the time, just teaching tennis. A lot of times you'll observe some club players playing a doubles match. And um, I'm just going to use like ladies league tennis as an example. Uh, someone will, it'll be their turn to serve and they, they kind of rush through it. And you kind of say, well, why are you rushing so much? And, and they'll say, I just want to get it over with because <laughs> you know they don't like the serve they're they're feeling the pressure of the serve and then you know we, we've all seen how long an Nadal takes you know Djokovic takes there's a reason why they take time they're going through their rituals uh they're grounding themselves they're breathing um so you know obviously it's easier said than done you know it's easier to see in someone else than with yourself uh, you know, if you're rushing and it's working great for you, you know, if Kenna and she's winning and, it, you know, go with that flow. But if it's not working for you, you know, it's time to change that that losing game or the losing mindset. You are a two sport instructor. You teach yoga and you teach tennis. And there's a. Uh, a major discussion um, about how much juniors should specialize in one sport. Now, I have an 11 year old and I'm of the mindset that I think it's important that she plays two, maybe three sports at this time. What are your thoughts, given that you already teach two sports and combine them together? What, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know your answer, but I'd like to know your <laughs> behind that answer and, and, and let you explain those. Um, you know, I definitely agree that being able to do more than one thing is, is only going to help your tennis. Um, ironically, I did not do more than one sport growing up. I, I only played tennis. And I remember at one point wanting to play basketball and my parents saying, well, 
you know, what is it? Do you want to play tennis or do you want to introduce something else? And, and I understand that too. If you're going to do something, do it well, don't be distracted by other things. But obviously we see um, the students who are involved in other sports with regards to footwork and other ball sports, how much they're able to benefit just with their hand-eye coordination and how they move and how they respond to things. Um, I definitely believe in it. I think it's a good thing. Um, my husband who just picked up tennis, I don't know how long it's been now, but seriously, maybe five years ago, he grew up playing uh, basketball, soccer, and it, it was like, I mean, he just keeps improving because he already has such a strong foundation with many of the other things that become challenges in tennis, uh, not related to the strokes. Um, and then another thing I'd like to say about that is, um, when I was a junior and I was trying to get a, a co college scholarship, one of my first choices, I lost the scholarship to a girl who was going to play not only tennis, but basketball for the school, <laughs> um, which is rare, I think. But yeah, I think it can only help. And the other thing I think that's useful is that um, players tend to identify with tennis and tennis only. And I think it's so important just to have other things in your life. Um, not just as a fallback, but uh, we tend to just identify with only tennis. And then when things go wrong or we're not able to play tennis for whatever reason, it's, it's almost like you don't know who you are. So I just think it's, it's nice all the way around to um, have other things in your life besides tennis, maybe another sport. When did you take up yoga? Obviously, you've been playing tennis since you were a kid. Um, and, and I understand the court you are on was probably the court you were at when your parents owned the house. And you've redone the court and now you're working for yourself at home. Great commute. Love that idea. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Um, I actually, I started yoga. I can't tell you the year, but um, the reason why I started yoga was I was having some back trouble out of um, college. So I, mm -hmm. I um, graduated in, in 1998 from Miami university and um, the physical therapist that I was seeing at the time recommended yoga to me. And and I actually, I didn't love it right off the bat. In fact, um, I tried a couple of classes and I didn't try it again for about four years um, because I just, I didn't understand it. It was too slow. I thought, uh, well, surely I'm not, I'm not um, burning any calories here. I don't know if I'm doing this right. I think, you know, having that perfectionist type attitude on court and then getting into something where you felt really bad at it was, was a, was a turnoff. You know, you, you felt tight. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And and um, it was years later, I got into it and, and really loved it. And then um, when I moved down to Florida, because at the time I was in Columbus, Ohio, uh, one of the clubs I was working at lost their yoga instructor. And they said to me, hey, we know you're into yoga. Do you want to teach? And I thought, I don't know if I can teach yoga. And then um, I did a real minimal certification just as a test to see if I would like teaching yoga and as part of that, I had to teach eight free classes. So I did that at the club. And that's when I figured out that I really did not know <laughs> enough to be teaching. And then that's when I decided to get my full on 200 hour uh, certification through the Yoga Alliance. So you bring me to a great question. 200 hour certification. Now, unfortunately, for the past 30 years, there's been no 200 certification for a tennis pro. So mm -hmm. let's talk about that. Now you went, uh, obviously you're certified te in tennis. Take us through your certification process and, that, and when that came about and, 
and compare it to your yoga certification? Is, what were the similarities and what were the differences? Oh, that's a great, great question. Um, so I actually didn't get certified. I, I wish I had right off the bat because I'd be many more years in. I think I'm 16 years plus with the USPTA now. Um, but I really only got the certification when I moved down to Florida because I knew that I, I would have to have it for some reason. And I don't remember the details. The club that I was at, um, there was some politics involved where nobody at the club, they decided not to get the certification at the time. And, you know, me being young, oh, I don't have to pay for the dues. Okay, cool. I won't get the certification either. Um, that's definitely something that I regret. But when I decided to go through it before moving down here, um, I thought it was challenging, actually. I don't consider myself to be a great test taker. I excelled at the playing portion where you had to, you know, hit certain spots on the court so many times and different strokes. Um, and there were a couple places in the test where I could have done a little bit better. In fact, I'm in the process of getting my elite certification at the moment and um, just passed the written exam. So just have one more little piece to go on courts next month. Um, yeah, as far as the USPTA certification, um, obviously you have to, you have to have a certain level or to get to the highest uh, level of, of having a certain amount of skill. But then there's just a lot of book study as far as, uh, you know, kind of having the right answer for what, you know, I, I think it's a good base. Let's put it that way. I think it was a good base. Um, right. But the real learning is in the teaching. And uh, you really have to start teaching to start to learn. And in my case, I, I had a lot of really wonderful instructors that I learned from when I was in Columbus, Ohio, at a place called Olympic Indoor. And mm -hmm. I just learned a lot from the other pros that were many years into teaching and they took me on as assistants and uh, they were well organized and had great lesson plans. And I learned a ton of drills. And um, while I was much shyer then, um, I kind of made the decision when I moved down to Florida, okay, I'm gonna you know, take on a stronger role. I'm gonna take this a little more seriously. And um, the yoga, the yoga was different, you know, it was nine months of, I was driving back and forth to Sarasota from where I live, which is about an hour, which was intense. Um, so on the weekends, you know, Fridays, full day, Saturday, full day, Sunday, after teaching many hours on court all week, um, studying for a little test. So that, that was intense too. And I would say that the yoga training is a little more of a self-study as well. You're kind of pushing yourself physically, um, you're pushing yourself to expand your limits. Um, so, so the 200 hours, so you see, you did the 200 hours with your mentors on the tennis court up in Ohio. And it's funny, you, 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 you remind me of, of, of my test taking when I went to, I, I, I initially took the uh, certification uh, 10 years ago. Um, and then I wanted to go upgrade and mm -hmm. my upgrade was five years ago or six years ago. And I walked in and the tester looked at me and said, well, you're actually a full-time instructor. And I took, I just upgraded, but you know, it's funny that we allow the USBTA and PTR allows really people who haven't taught 200 hours or taught at right. all to get certified. And I, and I think the new, the new method that they're talking about instituting, I know it's been delayed because of COVID is fantastic that I think there's, I think it's 600 hours of mentoring or being mentored on a tennis court is going to be involved because that's where you learn the drills. That's where you learn the racket pathways. That's where you learn how to deal with clients and members and difficult situations where you have eight people on a court and you're expecting four 
you know, where you learn to really fly by the seat of your pants if something doesn't go your way on court. And that's the mark of a great instructor. And I think you've hit it on the head in comparing what yoga does. Now, I, I am a personal trainer as well. And I know that my personal training exam was much more strenuous than right. my tennis certification exam. And I'm happy and I hope that, and I think you do too, that tennis gets to that point at some time in the near future. Well, with that said, I, I'm going to say that, um, you know, I've taken a lot more continuing education during the pandemic, and I've been very impressed with what the USPTA has been offering. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been kind of following much more. I, I have kind of made the decision to become more involved, and I've just been very impressed with with um, what they're doing for instructors, the education they're providing us. I mean, we have so many opportunities to level up our teaching skills right. and the more and more I see, the more I'm seeing yoga for tennis connections and a lot of these offerings. And, and I don't think that that was the case before. So I think it's it, the teaching is becoming more well-rounded and what's being presented to help instructors. And it sounds like in the future, what's going to be asked of instructors and, and definitely, you know, there's no substitute for experience. There's just some things most things that you can't learn in a book or in a binder. You say that you, you know, you are, you were a lot more shy back in the beginning. And that brings me on to the next question is only 23% of instructors, USPTA instructors are women. Why do you think that is, and, and, and have you ever thought about how you or who was special to you and why you got involved? You know, it's funny. I always had male instructors as well, and if you would have asked me, you know, years ago if I preferred a male or a female instructor, I would have said male because that's really all that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I started teaching at this club that I mentioned in Columbus, there were a lot of female instructors and it was fun and um, it, was, it was much more well-balanced. And then I knew, and I was already kind of psyching myself out in a way when I came to Florida that it wouldn't be that way again. It's just very male heavy as far as the pros that are around. And in my uh, town, which is a smaller town, I can think of one other female pro that I kind of formed a bond with, but even then, you know, she taught in the, in the school during the day. So it wasn't even her main, um, her main job to be a, a full-time tennis pro. So I think that that's why recently I'm appreciating these bonds that I'm forming with people like Michelle Krause. And I got the chance to meet uh, Emma in, in Denver uh, earlier on or last at the end of last year. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of craving this bond and collaborating with other female pros just because I really haven't had a lot of that uh, in the past. I think that's a, a major part of it. And also, if you think about it, your words made me think of this is you always had a male instructor. And I think for a lot of very good female players, that's normally the path because you're challenged by the, the male hitting partner and instructor. And perhaps, you know, as 
the 23% maybe becomes 25, maybe becomes 30. That won't be always the case and that you'll be able to someone at your level at, at going to going to college now should be able to find, you know, should be. And we, we have them female instructors that can hit just as well as any male instructor. Um, so maybe that would made it would have made a, a, a you know, a, a change for you in the past. Yeah, I don't even think it's the challenge. I don't know. I just think, you know, maybe it's because, you know, women are the ones giving birth and they're the ones taking care of families. I think we're just not used to seeing uh, women in those roles. Um, Even, you know, when I grew up practicing, I was, I think, the only girl in the group with all these older boys, you know, so I I don't know. I, I think, it probably goes both ways. We don't have the female instructors and maybe you don't have as many female players. I don't know. I feel like it's starting to turn a little bit or, you know, it definitely helps when people such as yourselves are, are bringing these conversations up and we're kind of, you know, for, for example, I, I always felt that that was the case that I, I felt a little, uh, I would say isolated in my town being one of the only uh, female pros. Um, and that I think I heard that that stat that you mentioned about only 20 some uh, are female pros and, and it makes sense. That's, that's what I've felt. Um, But I, you know, I have fun. There's uh, following a couple female instructors on social media and I always look forward to seeing what they're doing. And I just think, as you know, (laughs) it's ironic given that the females are, are the ones taking the most lessons, you know, in in the league (laughs) play through clubs. And um, it's just interesting. It is. I don't think that will change anytime soon. Um, (laughs) Probably not. So let's go back to being your own boss. You you went, you worked in the club industry for 12, 15 years, and then you made this major leap to go and work for yourself. And how how have you found that? Is it more enjoyable working for yourself? I, I, I would assume it is, but tell us, tell us yourself, how do you find it? Yeah, it definitely, I'm loving it. Um, At first, it's a little bit of a leap for sure. In fact, I knew I wanted to do it for probably almost two years before I actually had the guts to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. I live probably about 20 minutes from my previous club. And um, so I taught at that club for about 12 years, but I also taught seven years before that up north. So I spent a lot of time in the clubs and kind of, you can kind of see where your path is going. And I knew that I wanted to incorporate yoga in some way. And, um, as I mentioned, that's when I got a little more involved with the social media, just to have a lifeline. I didn't know if people were going to be willing to drive out to my place. Um, I also am teaching on a hard court where most of the tennis here in Florida is on clay courts. Um, you know, I just started with a couple students, little by little, you know, this, this age group that we teach down here, we have a a little more of a senior population. They're not always, um, I I shouldn't say they're not the most open, but they can sometimes be reluctant to things such as warming up or practicing some yoga postures because they're afraid that they might hurt themselves or, um, they're just not used to it. And so, little by little with the people that are open, you know, if they mention, oh yeah, my shoulder hurts when I do this, when I go up to do my server. Okay, well, let, let's try a couple of things. And I would just kind of incorporate, you know, uh, a little breathing, a posture here and there without them really even realizing right. that they were practicing yoga. And then um, while I've had both yoga and tennis events out at my place, so I've been lucky to host the Miami women's tennis team out at our place two times. 
and uh, we had a yoga event. It was really my goal last year to do a yoga for tennis event. And that's really when I uh, met Michelle and it just kind of came together. So yeah, it's been great. Um, obviously the work demands are totally different. You know, now I'm just not, you know, I think uh, you probably experienced this as well. People who know that you teach tennis have a vision of what it is that you do. They don't think of you also being on a computer and emailing people and doing marketing and planning things out. Um, so I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on the computer these days, as well as uh, teaching, especially with the addition of my um, YouTube channel that I committed to at the beginning of the pandemic. So there, it's just, um, there are a lot of different roles that I never had before. However, there are some roles that I am admitting that I perhaps didn't love <laughs> in the past. So it's, yeah. it's really more on my terms, let's put it that way. Well, that's exactly why I established Beyond the Baselines, because as the name says, we go beyond the baselines. You do it now, too. You, I, I think people think of us as an instructor in a cage following yellow balls and chasing right. yellow balls. Around. And it's the farthest thing from the truth in reality when you're a director, or even a head pro or running your own business as you are now. And a director of tennis at a club, as I've always said, is really running a business and you're running your own business for your own club. Take me through your future in the next few years. I, I kind of see you running major events. Um, first of all, I don't think it's such a bad thing you have a hard court because yoga mats don't get dusty. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, trust me, I have thought about that. And and I, you know, playing on clay courts all my life growing up and teaching on clay courts, they're messy. There's a lot of upkeep. So no, I, you know, the most upkeep we have to do now is to blow the, the tennis court off in the mornings. Beautiful. It looks really clean on Instagram, but thank I, you. I, whenever I did TRX on clay courts, it's a, in the, in you're down on the ground on yoga mats. It, it's a very messy cleanup afterwards. But aside from that, your YouTube channel, and, and I had gone and looked at this uh, prior to calling you. Take us through your thought process on that and, and filming it, because filming it, obviously, you can't do it really by yourself. So obviously, your husband's helping you with that. Maybe. I don't know. Do you have a tripod? Do you self-record? How? Take, take us through a day in a YouTube channel producer. Okay. So funny you mention it, because I just filmed uh, a, a couple of videos this morning. So I actually am doing it all by myself. Fantastic. Um, I, I, I figured out real quick that my husband, my husband was not going to be available at my beck and call each time I wanted to film something. Um, right. So yeah, I just take up a tripod. Um, you know, I'm teaching outside, so the weather can sometimes be a challenge. So now I'm, now I'm planning shoots around the weather and when it's going to be mm -hmm. good. I'm trying to trying to knock out several in one sitting, which I wasn't doing that before. Um, but I have a nice tripod. It works well now with the earbuds as far as the microphone is concerned. Um, and yeah, I just really, it's my way of getting yoga for tennis out there into the world. Um, like I said, I live in a very small town. And so I just wanted to think beyond uh, Punta Gorda, beyond Florida. I just want to see where this goes. The most fun I've had is collaborating with other people. Uh, when I had the Miami tennis team here and just seeing them train for a week and getting to hang out with the coach and the players and collaborating with Michelle and just thinking about these future collaborations that could happen. I mean, that's, that's what really lights me up. And I think when people get to experience tennis and uh, the yoga immediately after, like we're doing in the intensity fitness plus yoga for tennis, I think it's really obvious how the students feel afterwards, how great they feel. It's a nice setting. And um, I'm just 
hoping to get more people open to the idea of yoga through the sport that they love, tennis. And um, I, I think that if they give it a little time, they'll see not only how it can improve their tennis game, but also mm-hmm. um, enhance aspects of their life just overall, like it has for me. Now, I, I, I think you have over, do you have 200 subscribers, something like that? Close Not there, yet. Right? I'm getting close, getting close. Good. And it's only been going since the beginning of the pandemic or you, you, you kind of committed to it, you said probably last May, something like that. Yeah. So I, um, I actually had, had a couple videos on there just to kind of see how it was done years ago, but then I never did anything with it. And then, then when I really thought about it at the time, I, I hadn't fully committed and that's mm-hmm. when I decided, okay, uh, I'm not a yoga teacher. I'm not a tennis teacher. I'm a yoga for tennis teacher. A great way that I can commit to this is to commit to one video per week. It's a great way to offer free yoga to anyone who wants to access it, but it's also a great learning opportunity for me. And I just, I, I don't really see a downside. I mean, it is a lot of work, but I'm, I'm getting to do something that I love. Let me take, and and this is where, you know, I know, you know, but this is where a lot of our listeners probably don't understand how much time this takes. A podcast takes time. (laughs) Creating a video takes time. You have, once you start looking at the YouTube and creating your channel and trying to garner subscribers, and then you have YouTube emailing you things like try YouTube studio or try Vimeo or try Canva to create (laughs) ads the amount of time that that takes is, is amazing. It adds up. And I added up uh, for my business. What, what do you think, how many hours a week do you think you, uh, obviously you have Instagram, you have a Facebook page, you have a YouTube channel. How many hours a week is it 50% of your time that you're spending, you know, creating Um, and, and recruiting and advertising? You know, that's a great question. I haven't sat down to look at it and I I really should. I'm kind of scared to know the answer. Um, But now I have time built into my schedule, which I never had had this, but by design, I I have two, I say two scheduled afternoons a week where I'm working on content, uh, you know, could be editing videos, uploading stuff. Uh, You mentioned Canva, there's designing on Canva. I mean, there's a lot of learning and a lot of time uh, happening. Um, but I will admit that I do a lot of things maybe when I shouldn't be working like early in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, in the evening. So it just, you, you always get a sense that you have to get ahead because you don't want to fall behind. Yeah. I haven't quite yep. figured that part out yet. It, it's challenging and it's, that's probably one of my greatest challenges right now. So I just want to I'm trying to be clear about what I'm trying to present and why I'm doing it and not lose sight because um, you can fall down the rabbit hole pretty quickly with the social media and how much time you're spending. And um, it's, right. it's, it's tricky. I, I'm looking at it in terms of if, if, and I've started keeping a spreadsheet uh, of, of my times. Uh, and, and I almost did it because of, you know, when you're, when, when I'm a consultant, I actually, use Intuit QuickBooks to bill people if I'm doing hourly billing like an Mm. attorney. And so I started doing that for myself for social media to see if I hire someone to do this, how much it's going to cost me. Uh That's the hidden cost right there. As you grow and you grow, and I hope your business grows exponentially so that you're going to have to do uh, some hiring and hire someone or people to do 
the back end, as I call it, or the front end, the recruitment too. Um, I wanted to know what that time allocation and cost would be. So as you go forward, maybe that's something you should do. I, I offer that because it, it is surprising when you start to add it up and look at it. And I realized I was spending too much time uh, because first thing I would do is get up in the morning and not get on the scale and worry about going to the gym, but go to the computer and start recruiting people. Through. Right. Uh, on the YouTube side, how do you, what kind of materials are, are you using to record yourself? Is it a phone? Is it an iPhone? Is it, uh, you said a tripod, but how do you edit it? And how do you use the studio? Do you use YouTube studio? How does that work? Yeah, right now I'm just using my cell phone. Um, thank goodness for the iPhone. Um, right. I know that other people use fancier cameras. I don't know about all that equipment. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see how long I can get away with just using my phone, <laughs> not having to get another Art. piece of equipment. Right. It's pretty easy to use. And right now I am editing off of iMovie off of my phone because it's easier than, at least for me, than off the computer. Although now that I'm getting a little more uh, savvy with the phone version, it's, it's taking me, I, I can see where it would be faster if I learned what I was doing on the computer. So it, yeah, the more you learn, the more you realize how much more you have to grow and keep learning Yep. to kind of level up your game. So right now it's pretty basic, um, but I, you know, these are thoughts I, I've had as recently as this morning when I was doing it that, you know, it's like just when you get comfortable, that's when you realize you have to learn more to take that next step. Well said, and you know what? That's part of the fun and part of the challenge. Yeah, exactly. Well, Margaret, it's great to talk to you on the podcast and thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting talking to someone who owns their own business in the tennis industry, but also with a secondary sport combining tennis with yoga. Thank you again for being a part of our podcast and we look forward to meeting you very soon and, and talking again. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Always reach the team here at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website at www.beyondthebaselines.com, which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon!